0: Wow. About twelve thirteen or fourteen out of uh fifty. And you're like, man, well, that means we only have like 36 more left, right? So we have some good stuff coming, but Ro- uh, Romans 4 here, unbelievable. We are in justification, and um a couple of weeks ago before we took um Easter off, we had finished on 27 to 31, Grant's going to come back to 26 uh, for us here in a second. But um, before we pray, um, Josh, I ask you to pray for us, but let me read 27 um, and 28, which I never knew this until about 30 hours ago, really matches up well or is introduces... Verses 1 to 8 in chapter 4. Okay, so let me read 27 and 28, uh, and then 1 to 8 in chapter 4, and we'll get busy. Then, when what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. And for the next... Ooh, Four or five weeks are we going to hear this over and over and over from every angle conceivable. And this is it's just such a great truth, and he is going to pound this at us. And now he's going to prove it today. He's going to prove it by two Old Testament heroes, Abraham and David. Listen to the, about these guys. Chapter 4, one day. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God, for what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as a due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Joshua, you pray for us, and then Grant, will let you get to work on 26 for us, or 5.
1: Sure. Dear Father, thank you again for the chance to open up your word and study it. Lord, help us to know it more deeply. I pray that our study today would greatly honor and glorify you and help these truths to sink down into our hearts and um, align our worship to you properly. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grant, can I interrupt you
0: before you start? please do. Yeah, please do. um, Here's, I think, just a, a truth that I hope we really enjoy today. To whatever degree we have understood Romans one to three. The depravity of our our own heart. To whatever degree we get that, and maybe to whatever degree you have been convicted of the sin that you have committed this week, that is to what degree you are going to enjoy this incredible news today. Because the news, the good news, will only be enjoyed, I think, as much as we can understand that bad news. But if you and I begin to grasp where we were apart from Christ, hostile, couldn't submit to God's law, didn't submit to God's law. Indeed, we couldn't, we couldn't please God in any way. And then today, you see where you are, because of what Jesus did in the imputation of that righteousness. I think you're going to be thrilled beyond recognition, and you're going to be such a new bird this week that people are going to be wondering what really happened. Uh, you know, about 2:15 on a Sunday. Start us off there, Grant.
2: Yeah, so I was just going to take us backwards. Um, You know, I was going to apologize to take us back to propitiation, but I'm not really that sorry. Boyce calls it the um, the forgotten doctrine, and it was so important to me because it's just been connecting so many things. Uh, But we kind of skipped over this verse when we were going through these, and when we're walking through, you know, twenty one through thirty one, there's so many just diamonds just laying around that when we when we stumble upon. A gold nugget like this verse we kind of just passed it by because we were talking about justification and redemption and propitiation but this um <clears throat> maybe starting in, in verse 24 uh, through the redemption that is in christ jesus whom god put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith this was to show god's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so that, that phrase right there, um, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins, is a very interesting one to me. I've never really quite understood what that meant when I would read it in the past. But I think, to some degree, every believer has probably had that question uh, at some point. I know we talk about it in discussion group all the time. Usually, as a young believer, I know it was for me, you wonder... Okay, if I'm saved through faith alone and Christ alone, how were the Old Testament saints uh, saved? Was it different than my salvation? Was there something else going on? Is salvation consistent through Scripture? And I think this verse, Paul is really introducing that topic um, before he really gets into it in in a case study in chapter 4. And so um, propitiation was... The thing that connected it for me is that showed that God was just, that sin did not go unpunished. It wasn't just forgiven. It was forgiven. It was expiated or done away with, but it was also propitiated. The punishment was paid to Christ for that sin, and so that showed that um, because in, in God's divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. So these Old Testament saints that had died in faith, there had been no punishment for sin. So you could say for a long period of time there was... Uh, was God just to to save these people? And MacArthur talked about this a lot, that um, they're saved the same way that we are through faith in Christ. It's just, you probably heard that phrase as an answer to that question, they looked forward, we look back. And when I first heard that answer in discussion group, I was like, oh, okay, uh, I don't really get it. <laughs> that, does, that sounds nice, but it doesn't really make sense to me. But propitiation really sort of sealed the deal for me because it showed that, God, in His divine forbearance, He passed over the former sins in the sense that these saints that died in faith, their sin—that sin just went unpunished. He He forgave them, but there was no punishment for the sin yet. And so, to show that God was just indeed, He had to send Christ um, to take on that punishment for them and for us who would believe. And I think that just sets up um, sets us up for today. But I think it was important because in the Old Testament there was all these sacrifices, but. We know from Hebrews 10.4 that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin Um, and every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never uh, take away sins. This highlights that there are many priests because they die and that they must stand because their work will never be done. Uh, Christ will never die as our high priest and he sits because the once and for all sacrifice had been made. So these uh, sacrifices didn't really deal with with the sin that had taken place. It was pointing to the final sacrifice that could once and for all take away the sin of those Old Testament uh, saints that that died in faith. And John Owen writes this, um, the blood of bulls and goats as offered in sacrifice and carried into the most holy place was designed by God to represent the way of taking away sin but could not by itself achieve this. Animal sacrifices told the people that blood would be required for true atonement but it would not be the blood of bulls and goats that would atone. Um, and so I think that was just fascinating to me to see that um, the propitiation of Christ was for the Old Testament saints and it was for the New Testament saints. And that that just sets up for what the case study that we'll go through with Abraham. How was he justified? Was it by works or by faith? And if it was by faith, by faith in who? Looking forward to Christ.
0: No, that's, that's huge. I think it was probably Mark, because it's usually Mark if I have some sort of a illustration that made sense. Here was an illustration someone gave on that, let's say you had a birthday party, probably Leah's, because Leah is April's all month, birthday month for Leah, and uh, you've got Leah having 10 people over for her birthday party, all right? But they're going to some athletic event, I don't know what, I guess in April. It's gotta be the spring game. They're going to the Georgia spring game, and so there's five people, and then Leah's dad's along, because he's gonna pay. And so there's five of Leah's (laughs) friends, go first and they point back to say the the man, the older man in the middle, right, he's going to pay for us. So they let them in, they let them in, all five of them, Mr. Smith pays for all ten of them, and then the ones that go after that point, he paid, the the man paid for us. And so whoever was explaining this said that's kind of how it was. Those first guys, Abraham and all the Old Testament saints, they were pointing back in that Jesus is going to pay. There is going to be someone that's paying, but he's still to come. We're looking the other way, saying Jesus has already paid. But only one person pays for sin. And the great news today is that that wasn't us and that couldn't have been us. And if that was up to us, then our sins would be counted against us and we would have no hope, and we would definitely be going to hell, and right now we would be miserable in our sin. Josh, you got one one to three. Help us here.
1: Okay. So chapter 4, if you're thinking about the flow of the argument, Paul is going to look back at this guy named Abraham, who for the Jewish audience would have been of monumental importance. I mean, he was considered the father of the nation, And so, you know, 21 through 31, he's unfolded justification by faith, propitiation, redemption. Uh, We looked at those in the past. God passed over former sins. That sin would be uh, punished on Christ on the cross, and God's wrath would be appeased, uh, be placated. And then, so chapter 4, Paul, the master arguer, um, master debater, he was a masterful teacher, he's going to make this case through uh, Abraham. Was justification by faith a novel idea? Was it a new invention that was just made up? Or was it there in the Old Testament? Um, Did God have a different plan, or was the plan always uh, through Christ? And so 1 through 3 kind of goes back and rehashes a point he's already made. Um, In verse 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So for... For Paul, this is not about boasting. It can't be about boasting because he made the point already in um, 27. What becomes of boasting? It's excluded. So it's almost as if Paul is remaking this point to say our justification by faith is not about our boasting. It's about the glory of God. And uh, then he's going to kind of unfold this argument in verses 3 through 5. But one one of the big words throughout this passage is... Uh, credited or counted in the english sometimes it's translated as reckoned um, but i think the greek word is legitsami, something like that i'm probably mispronouncing it but this idea of of righteousness being credited and um, i think we'll look at it more in, in in depth here but i think in turning to abraham if paul can make the case that um, justification by faith was really there in the old testament through abraham it clinches the argument, it seals the deal, and um, it kind of quiets some of the naysayers that were maybe coming
0: against Paul. Yeah, and Abraham, there would be a number of reasons that uh, he would choose Abraham, don't you think? Like, you know, he's the, yeah, I don't know, he's the father. No one sings like Father Hab- Habakkuk in Sunday school, <laughs> right? Abraham is the one that we're still singing about in Sunday school, right? Father Abraham, he had many sons. This is all. He was the one that God chose. And what I love is that Abraham didn't start as a good guy, right? It wasn't that God was looking down and saying, wow, look at him. That guy's something. I'm going to choose him to start. No, his dad was an idol worshiper, and that's where he, and so we got uh Yanked out of Ur, of the Chaldeans. I love if you got your addresses. Ur, it was probably. I bet you it wasn't even five digits as a zip code back then. Abraham Ur, two four six probably is his address. That's how he gets his mail right there. Us, us and Ur. Those are my favorite two. Uh, I think addresses in the in the Old Testament. But you got him coming from Ur, and he believes God, right? That is, show. And we need to probably get to Hebrews 11, even though we have three hours of stuff. We probably need to read about him in Hebrews 11. Why, in what way did God, did Abraham show faith? Just name them out there. There's, there's maybe 10. There's certainly some areas he didn't show faith in as well, right? He wasn't at all perfect. Throw some out. In what ways did he show faith?
3: He left everything he knew all of God's word.
0: Yeah, good. And he left, and it was, he believed God, and he and he left. Good. What else? He, he was prepared to offer his son. Oh, yeah, that one gets me. Yeah. I remember when I was a little guy, I'm reading that in the Jesus Storybook Bible to Ben, and, and Ben's probably three or four, and I'm tearing up, and it's like, uh, you know, and Ben's like, why are you crying, Dad? You know, and I'm like, "I bet I can't even, I don't know how to explain this. You know, he is willing to sacrifice his only son." The, the, the child of the promise, right? This is the one that God was going to use to uh, give him heirs as many as there were stars in the sky and he's going to sacrifice him and kill him and he was ready to. Unbelievable. That one takes the cake in my book, Shane, for sure. What else? Um, he,
2: oh, go ahead, Jesse. he believed that uh, God would fulfill his promise of giving him... A son, even though he and his wife Sarah were both very
0: old. In the nursing home. That's exactly right. (laughs) Right? And they don't even have nurseries in there. She is 90, right? And he's 99. Jesse, you're exactly right. Right. And they're going to have as many descendants as the start. And he tried. Now, he didn't have faith earlier, right? 14 years earlier, he takes matters into his own hands. And he has uh, Ishmael, right, wild donkey of a man. And that absolutely was a horrible decision. So it's not at all like Abraham's uh, uh, a perfect guy. Remember him lying about his wife? What was the end game in that? Sarah, let's just say that you're my sister. You didn't want to die. No, I, yeah, you didn't want to die exactly that way. I mean, <laughs> that's a bad plan. Yeah, Jerry?
2: Uh, you mentioned uh, Hebrews 11, so um, it's always amazing to remember that in there, it's mentioned
1: that Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead.
0: Yeah, unbelievable, isn't that? Right. Because you want to, yeah, you turn over there. This is too good to miss out. Uh, Hebrews 11, and we'll probably be turning here numerous times. Uh, well, not today, but just for uh, for today. Verse, way. and there's quite a bit there. Grant, would you start us in verse 8? Because there is quite a bit about Abraham's faith, but you get some new um, understanding here. If you would start us in 8, read to seventeen. Okay.
2: By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. Heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the the things promised, but having seen them, and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out they would have would have had opportunity to return but but as it is they desire a better country that is a heavenly one therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god for he has prepared for them a city by faith abraham when he was tested offered up isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named.
0: Yeah, unbelievable. Isn't that great? You know, you just read about his faith. And it was, don't you see here, he lived by faith and not by sight. Not all the time, but he did, and he made sure, and we have, this is going to be huge for us this week, I think, that we remember that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Look at verse 13 and 16 again. Look what he was looking forward to. These all by faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Right? It's what they're looking forward to. I love 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. We, Our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship's in heaven. That's the better country. And that will determine whether we can live by faith or not this week. Right? If we're living by sight... If this is our country, then it's going to be a rough week. There is a lot of bad stuff going on in, in, around us in our own lives, our own sin, everybody else's sin. But if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, if our eyes are set on things above, if we have fixed our eyes not on what's seen but what's unseen, then we can live by faith. Right? That's that, that's that idea. That's the 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through chapter 5, verse 10. That whole idea, Colossians three 1 to 4. We've got to look ahead. We've got to look forward. So when you go back, um, kind of in review here, go back to Romans 4. Paul is thoroughly now convinced us that God's righteousness is imputed to us only through justification by faith. He did that in chapter 3. So the next step now is his argument. He's going to give us a clear, clear precedent from these two Old Testament heroes. Abraham and David, and show that justification is by faith in God alone, and that there is only one way of salvation, like Grant said. Old Testament saints saved through Jesus that they were looking forward to. New Testament saints in us today saved by looking back to our Savior. He's the one who paid. I love how clear this is. There is a prerequisite to salvation in verse 3, what is it? Well, really, verse 4, 3, 4, 5, all of them there. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. To the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to righteousness. You know what keeps every person out of heaven? <clears throat> trusting in their works, right? The prerequisite is that we cannot work for salvation. Now, why does that go contrary to our own thinking? Because our grandmama told us there's no free lunch, right? We got to go and earn it. We have got to earn our way, right? If we don't get it done, it's not going to happen. That's the way, i tell you what, when I broke my neck, that was probably what bugged me um, as, about as much as anything, and still does today, is that I just can't do anything, right? It was just I just was laying in bed flat, and I couldn't do anything, and it bugged a stew out of me, because I wanted to be independent. I wanted to put my own socks on. I wanted to do everything that I you know, felt like I once could do, and I think that bites us spiritually, too, don't you? Like, we feel like, no, 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 I've got to add something to this. I imagine it's our pride. Shane, you've camped in Chapter 4 here a little bit. What? Do you have some stuff on that? Is that, are you, are you saying that you probably lean that way, that that's part of our issue? I would definitely say so. Uh, The pride that we feel that we have to, we have to make ourselves look good to our community of, of fellow believers, uh, to our pastors, to our elders, make ourselves, like, study the Word not to know God better, but yeah. but to look to more look. righteous to others around us or go to church events and volunteer, not because we're doing service unto God, but just to make, you know, make ourselves look mightier. Yep. And that is religion. And that sends us to hell. Yeah. If that's what we're counting on, there is a 0% chance, according to verse 5, that that will get us there. That is the one thing that will absolutely send us to hell would be to count on our works. At all. 1%. It's not an 80-20 deal. It's not a, like, i got to add a little bit. I've got to trust Christ. And whatever you say after that word and is, we've got to get out of that thinking. And I think it's unnatural for us to think that it's by faith in Jesus alone, because I bet you it's a blow to our pride. Zach, can you tell us about Jittery Joe's Bible study, starting Zach Wood last week? But I want to hear, I want to hear about this because this was Shane's brainchild. Shane's brainchild.
1: <laughs> Shane, you started this in January with some old roommates. The, the, yeah. Okay, and this was a Roman study that started with like just three or four of you guys, and now it's about ten or so. Uh, I went over spring break, and we took up the whole center of the <laughs> Jerry Joes, but going through Romans, and Zach, you taught Romans 4, right? So we got a resident Romans 4 theologian in the house here for 4 and 5.
0: Zach, what, what did you, when you studied this, what were the highlights? Tell us what you really got out of this. Because is it not just fascinating the more you think about
3: it? It is. um, And you guys have covered it. These two verses are so clear that MacArthur in his study Bible provide a definition of faith using these two verses as like faith is when you cease to try to earn God's favor through like meritorious works. Um, And this kind of, after the study, um, I kind of kept digging into the works. And if you, like, pull the thread on workspace, space, it just falls apart. Like, it doesn't work. Um, you, know, you can't make provisions for your past sins. They've already happened. Fallen creatures can't live up to the divine standard, which is perfection. Yeah. Um, and then this one, like, really hits home, I feel like, for everybody. If we say that we can earn salvation, then Christ's death was pointless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um
0: that might be the biggest of them all, do you think? Yeah. Whew.
3: And then all of this, you know, if, if we had a part in our own redemption, then our glory would eclipse God's glory. Yeah. Like, we try to take his glory anyways. If we had, like, a part in it, for sure we would take it.
0: So talking about that boasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zach just laid them out for us. MacArthur puts it, um, for the reasons that sinful man cannot save himself. And, uh, and this is exactly what Zach's saying. First, because his sin is incapable of reaching the divine standard of righteousness. Second, no matter how great, generous, sacrificial, beneficial his works might be, they could not atone for sins. Third, if men were able to save himself, and you're so right here, then Christ's atoning sacrifice means nothing. Fourth, as um, has already been talked about a bunch, if man could save himself, only God's glory would, God's glory would be eclipsed. So you're exactly, exactly, exactly right. Did you well we may come back to you to sixth to eight. Do you have a nugget or two from sixth eight? Maybe. Maybe. All right. We yeah, may I, we, I, I do. Okay, good. I'm I'm glad. We'll 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 get there soon. Shane might too. Yeah, Shane might yeah. do, I think it's exactly right. Um would you guys anything else there you're talking about counting, crediting. Yeah. And hopefully
1: Grant will explain for us what exactly Abraham believed, but his belief. There, are verse of okay. uh, th- three. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. What exactly he believed? Grant's got his covered, maybe. But um, he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So this word "counted" is. Uh, a bookkeeping term, it's an accounting term. It's to mark down to one's account what's already there. And uh, as I mentioned before, some other words that are used in the English that get at this idea is to reckon, uh, to impute, to credit. Um, Boyce put it like this. It's to move from one ledger to another. So to be counted as righteous, what happens is Christ's righteousness is taken and deposited in our account. And our... Uh, account of sin is given to christ where he takes the punishment for that on the cross um, and this takes place in an instant justification happens in an instant one second we are bankrupt and then the next when justification happens we have the full riches of god's grace in our account and i think that's what you're getting yeah, that is infinite sideways
0: among, eight amount of righteousness uh, amazing news ever no it's it's incredible And in chapter 6, if we get there in a couple months, is going to say, okay, how do we live because of that? Right? Right now, he is going to firmly establish that that's our position. That that's our position. Positionally, you have been declared righteous. You're not righteous practically. Positionally, though, that is uh, righteousness is your middle name. Right? And because Christ... Imputed it to your account, Grant. What did Abraham believe? This it's it's a pretty neat thought.
2: Yeah. So hopefully Josh will share that with us. <laughs> I thought that's what you were gonna do. Maybe I can just sort of set it up and Josh can uh, take us home. But um, when I used to read that um, that Abraham had faith in God and it was counted as righteousness, I th- took that as sort of just a general faith in the truthfulness of God. But Boyce kind of took a different direction that I had not really thought of. But he said if all we had was Genesis 12 and 15 and Romans 4 to go on, um, we would just have to conclude that that's, that's basically true. And that that's what Martin Luther seems to say um, when he wrote the expression, Abraham believed God is equivalent to saying that he considered God truthful. And for sure that's true. He definitely thought that God was truthful. But Boyce sort of said it's a little more specific than that. That um, I think he's, he's taking just an exposition of Galatians to show that there is a more explicit trusting in the coming of uh, a seed, namely Christ. And while Abraham wouldn't have known him by name as Jesus, um, he would have seen that there was one coming. Um, and Boyce breaks it down into three different things that Abraham, he believed the gospel, he um, had faith concerning redemption, and that he believed in the coming of Jesus Christ specifically. So Josh, what about those three things? Yeah, no, I
1: think that's, uh, I mean, Luther took that phrase and said that, I mean, God was, he considered God truthful and trustworthy, which is certainly true. But I think the Galatians text clarifies a little bit like what you're saying when when uh, this righteousness was uh, imputed to Abraham, when he believed God and it was credit to him, there was actually some content to that belief beyond just God being truthful. Certainly it was that, but there was more than that. And what you're saying in Galatians, um, why don't we just go ahead and read it a little bit. I think it brings the point out really well. Galatians 3, starting, I'm going to start down in verse 5. So the phrase from Romans, or really from Genesis fifteen six, appears three times in the New Testament. In our Romans passage, and then here in Galatians, and then once in James. But here in Galatians, it's really unfolded more explicitly what the phrase means. So in verse 5, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. And so I think Abraham had belief, had faith concerning spiritual things that the blessing of salvation would come through one of his descendants, ultimately Christ, and to the nations. Uh, And then Boyce also says he looked forward to the day When God would deliver the fallen human race from slavery to sin.
0: Thanks for uh, making that really clear. Because I think that hit me this week in in a new way too. And Boyce just said, "God wants to be believed." That's it. That's the number one thing. God wants to be believed, and God certainly should be believed. Right? He's been one hundred percent faithful forever. And yet, there's this week, I have to admit there were a lot of times I didn't believe him well. I didn't trust his promises to be true. And because of that, when I fall into unbelief, my life is not lived in a way worthy of the gospel. God wants to be believed. Do you believe God? Do you believe what he said? Because that's what Abraham did. He believed God. Now, was he perfect in it? Not at all. His wife, Ishmael. Plenty of examples. And neither did David. And wow, you know, we look at that's who he's gonna go to next, right? Here's a man after God's own heart. Here is the king that you would say the where the Jewish people would look to David if they're not they're not talking about Abraham. They're gonna be talking about David. And look what he says in six to eight. This is Ah, it's just so amazing that this is true of us and that this was true of David. Look at verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Remember, it counts, credited, imputes, his righteousness apart from our works, right? Just in reminder here, um, this 4.3, it refers to Abraham's faith that Abraham's faith is not a work. I think there's one other thing we need to make clear there before we go on. That it wasn't a work that he did, right? It was the conduit by which he received God's work, all right? So it wasn't Abraham's faith that saved him, but to the righteousness of Christ, which God credited to Abraham. We have seen this as a bookkeeping transaction. God took the sin of Abraham from the ledger book of Abraham's life and transferred it to the ledger book of Christ, who died for such sin. This is what Joshua's explaining to us. And he took the righteousness of Christ from Christ's book and transferred it to Abraham. We also saw that faith is the channel through which this happens. Okay, it's the channel through which this happens. It's not a work that he earned it. So when you look at seven and eight, you see both the negative and the positive sides Of this justification. Blessed are those, verse 7, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Okay, so they're forgiven. They're covered because of the death of Christ. When Christ died, when he cries it is finished, those sins are forgiven. Yours if you put your faith in Christ. They are covered. And then verse 8, I cannot get enough of verse 8. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count as sin. Is that not overwhelming today? If you had a list of your sins, if you could go into a computer and read through the list of your sins, if I could do that, of the 56 years of sins, I would read, I would miss all of Sunday school for the next six years in reading. Every wrong thought, every bad attitude, every wrong word, every sin of omission when am I not love the Lord my God with all my heart and soul and my strength every one of those he's not going to count those against me anymore because he counted them against Christ Christ took them and the wages of sin is death that's why Christ died so we don't get a wage we don't want a wage we need a gift it was free to us but it wasn't free to Christ Christ was the one that would pay. Now think about David as he's writing this in Psalm 32, right? This is where Paul's getting this. What had David been thinking about? He's king of Israel, right? These are God's people. He commits adultery. He sees Bathsheba. He calls her over. He knows better. His servant says, isn't this Bathsheba, wife of Uriah the Hittite? He pays no attention. It's not like he doesn't have warnings. He sleeps with her, will not immediately confess his sin, kills her husband Uriah, and it's not until Nathan prophet comes and says, gives this story of all of those sheep that that David had, and yet he stole the one sheep that he did not have. The rich man and the poor man. David is realizes, "Uh-oh, I've sinned." So you think about this sin, and David then says, "God's not counting those sins against him. Think of the glory that David robbed from God by that. He's king. I mean, I don't know how what could be worse. Commit adultery, then to the cover up, and then killing a husband." And yet, David can say that his sins were covered; they were forgiven. Blessed is the man who the Lord will not count his sin. Zach, when you were studying this, is that not just a phenomenal thought? There.
3: Yeah, especially when you consider like sin has to be covered, um, and we we can't do it, but we can we could try. Yeah. Um, but to know that Christ can cover it um, if you just do what David did and acknowledge your sins to him. Yeah.
0: No, it's fascinating. When you think about that, how should this be life-changing? Just throw out some things. What, how should our life be different starting right now if we really remember that? <clears throat> Verse 8. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will never count his sin. What would be different in your life if that's what that number one thought was? Going forward.
3: Probably joy and intentionality about not doing
2: things that
0: dishonor God because of what you've been given. Thomas has two great ones there. Wouldn't it be just an overwhelming joy yeah, that what we're not getting, what we deserve. And then also a, a deep conviction that I do not want to sin against the Lord, right? And he's going to certainly get to this with two very pointed questions in chapter 6 on that very well. Good. What else? I think it's to share your faith. Yeah. Because it's a gift. Yeah. Good. It's a gift. Right, we would not boast. How many times have we been warned here? If we're boasting about it, then we don't understand, don't understand it. Yeah, well, let's get convicted this week that I'm not trying sure to understand this as well as I thought I did. Good. What else?
2: Gratitude.
0: Gratitude. Yeah, just an overwhelming gratitude. Right, Coach Krause has reminded us: don't delay gratitude. Over and over, that's been a mantra that he's brought to our school. We need to be grateful. We need to be grateful. And let's say your circumstances are horrible. Right? Let's say you have the worst circumstances of anybody in North America. Your sins are not counted to you anymore. Is that not overwhelm any circumstance? I think. Any... Thoughts on how we should be changed?
1: This was a quote from Boyce. He says, The world offers all its blessings. He's contrasting David saying, Bless is a man whom the Lord doesn't count iniquity. I think if you put all the world's blessings, material and immaterial, on one side of a scale, it wouldn't outweigh the blessing we have in Christ that our sin has been removed. It's not counted against us. It's been covered. And... um I think that just helps our worship to truly be aligned on Christ and not to go after other things. For sure.
0: Good. Grant? I, don't,
2: I mean, that is, is really good news. Yeah. I think when I think about that, I should be intensely happy. Yeah, you're intensely day day. happy. I should be intensely happy. I should be very blessed and intensely happy that. I mean, I I think it was Boyce that talked about this. Sometimes it's harder to connect to Abraham, but for for us it may be easier to connect to David. David, The the two different countings. uh, Counting of the negative, like taking away. Our sins are not counted against us. Because I think when we evangelistically or when we personally apply this, we know what's in our past and um, there's no more guilt of that that can be taken away. So there should just be this intense happiness that comes from knowing that that's actually true and that it it always will be true continually will be true and that god is faithful and he, he never
0: lies yeah right he never lies believe him how about a from what you've said already what about forgiving others right you remember the uh where the the man was forgiven for a huge sum of money in the parable And then he was a little chintzy about forgiving his buddy that owed him a little bit. With God has covered our sins. He is never going to treat us as our sins deserve. How could I ever hold someone else's sin against them? Right? Doesn't that give believers a complete forgiveness? There should never be a time where we're holding back forgiveness for somebody. It's got to be complete. And Jesus, if we're going to do it like God's doing it, it's not that he forgets them. He chooses not to remember them according to Bridges. Let's choose not to remember the sin that people have committed against us. Let's just choose not to remember it. God has done that for us. How could I hold that against somebody? We can't. That's not even logical that we would do that. How about aggressive evangelism? Look what you have. Look at this, the huge happiness Grant's talking about. The unspeakable joy that we have. Others can have that. Others that don't have that today can have that. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them what you have. It was extraordinary this weekend. It was one of my most enjoyable days in class. One of the ninth graders got up and she was giving a presentation and she... Just, you would think this girl had been so godly. She's got great family. She's just an incredible young lady. And she says on February 7th, when Evie was sharing her testimony, she was sure that she was a believer, too, before February 7th. Evie, another ninth grader, shares her testimony about how God has dramatically changed her just a few weeks earlier. And Emily says at the end of her presentation, as as Evie was sharing about her testimony about what the Lord has done, I realized I'm not a believer. My motives are all, I'm, I'm, I live an all right life, but it's all about me. She realized I'm not a believer after all. Texts her mom, goes home, puts her open Christ, says she's a completely changed young lady because of a testimony that God used of another ninth grader. Let's share with people what we have. They need it. No wonder they're walking around so miserable, right? And then more convicting than this, Tuesday Dr. Cross could talk a month about my bad attitude on Tuesday. And I've got this just a worse, you know why? Because I didn't believe God. I didn't believe Him. And so there was circumstance uh, on top of circumstance that I did not handle well. And, was compla- and, and it's when I think about that I just say if it was from Tuesday alone my hell would be eternal and it would be in a lake of fire and I would deserve every second of it. Just from Tuesday from 7.15 to 4 o'clock if you just took those sins. And yet the Lord will never count those against me because Christ paid for them. And so you, we, Can I plead with us we cannot be the same. We can be the same if we believe this. Why would we believe this? Because with takes it's by faith that we live. This is true. Like I texted these guys a little earlier. It's like this is all too good to be true, but you know why we believe it? Because it is true. It's true. Put your hope in Christ. If there is any boasted that you have because you're a little your doctrine's a little better than somebody else's. Maybe you're a little more godly. You read your Bible a few more minutes than somebody else. That's not, that's not what this is about. It's about Jesus and the great exchange. He took our sins. We did his righteousness. He died for our sins. We live eternally because we have an infinite righteousness. How can that not cause us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel? Grant, can you pray for us?
2: Father, thank you for this time that we can discuss your word with with brothers and sisters that you have called to this local body. Father, thank you for this church and all the wonderful stories of how you uh, and your sovereignty brought each person that is here today. Um, Father, I pray that you would continue to grow this church and that it would stay true to your word. Father, we're so thankful for what we have read today in chapter 4 of Romans. We're so thankful that you don't count our sins against us because of what Christ has done, uh, the punishment that he took on the cross for those sins, Father. We're so thankful. I pray that we would not be the same as we we leave here today, that there would be a work of your spirit in our heart and that it would um, sear these words there and that we would come to know what it truly means, that our sins are not counted against us, that we would have intense joy and happiness and that that would change um, how we live in an ungodly world and that we would um, be intense lights for those that don't know you father and that we would live differently because of the truths uh, that are found in your word and I pray this in Jesus name amen
0: amen if you get a chance read in one sitting right take 15 minutes 321 to 521. Read chapter 321 to 521 and justification. See how thorough he is on how completely free and impacting justification is. And when we become convinced that's our position, our life will be different. If you can do that this week, Lord willing, we'll be back uh, next Sunday at 2. Thank you.